following is a production of DallasCowboys.com and the Dallas Cowboys Football Club. How about this, Cowboys? Yeah! Go, Are you ready for a break? Uh, yes. Are you ready for a break? Absolutely. Ready for a break? Yeah, and um, so much for that. It's time for The Break on DallasCowboys.com. We were on the break! With Nick Eatman, David Hellman, Ambar Garcia, and Derek Eagleton. Hello, guys. Welcome back to The Break. I'm Amber Garcia, joined by Nick Eatman, David Hellman, and Derek could not join us today, but we do have Bucky Brooks here with us. He He's a former scout. He's an analyst for the NFL, for the Dallas Cowboys. He's been writing scouting reports for us for a while now. And, you know, welcome to the show. How are you I'm doing? Good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. How's everything? You know, and also, Bucky played for the uh, Green Bay Packers and played when uh, – Brian Broaddus was there. Broaddus was a scout there. Isn't that the connection you guys have? You were there at the same time? Yeah, we were there at the same time. So Brian Broaddus was working in the pro department when I was scouting. So I was there from 95 to 97, parts of three seasons. And so I passed initially crossed then. And then we always maintained some kind of relationship thereafter. That's awesome. We are going to get to some of your scouting reports because you've been scouting all of these guys that are coming into the teams, the, the new guys, the free agents that have come along. So I do want to get into that in a bit. But before we get into Cowboy stuff, I mean, there is something that we cannot just be blindsided by everything that's been happening around the world currently and in the United States. And it's a very, very tough situation. And, and I just wanted to bring it up here a little bit just so we we don't act like nothing is happening in the world it's a very tough situation with everything and and from my stand i know that everyone has different opinions and, and from my end you know being part of a minority group i i see what is happening i feel what it's happening and, and i just want to say for me i am doing everything that i can to support to sit back, listen, and then take action and educate myself. I don't know if you guys want to speak on your own behalf, but as of right now, I think it's a it's a moment to really come together and be one. Yeah, that's uh, well said. You know, I, I think that, you know, in, in life, everybody has different agendas. And, and, you know, you can tell that they that people want certain things for certain reasons. And in this case, in my opinion, I think we all should have the same agenda on, on this one. This is, uh, you know, this isn't just one person's problem. This isn't just one person's fight. It's it's it's, uh, it's all of our uh, issues. It's all of our fights. And, and and I know that, you know, and I had to come full circle with that as well. And, and I had to, I've had some discussions with people, and, and it kind of helped open my eyes a little bit about how much voice um, that everybody has. Uh, including, you know, myself, Dave, and people of, of, of the majority, because those are the people, in my opinion, again, those are the people that are really going to help uh, make a change. So, um, you know, and, and again, I know that we're here to talk football, but but like she said, this is bigger than football. Well, no, I mean, it's bigger than football, but it's obviously, you know, football is wrapped up just like everything else in this country. I, I don't know if y'all saw this, literally – Maybe 10 minutes before our show went on the air, uh, Dak Prescott made a public statement 
uh, about George Floyd, about uh, racial injustice in America. Uh, he's pledging a million dollars uh, to to improve police training uh, and, and fighting systematic racism. So, I mean, whether whether you want to hear it or not, football is part of this. Uh, and I mean, Dak is one of countless figures in football that have spoken out about this. And uh, there's no way to avoid it. Nobody should be trying to avoid it. Um, you know, if that's not something you want to hear. I'm, I'm sorry about it, but but that's that is the fever pitch that this issue has reached in our country. Um, it's irresponsible to avoid it at this point. I think what you're seeing uh, in locker rooms across uh, the country, you're seeing guys who kind of are shedding light on their experiences, and many of them have shared experiences because, uh, unfortunately, sometimes being young, rich, famous, um, it doesn't protect you from some of the things that you may encounter uh, out in the world. And I think uh, because of the platforms that athletes have, they are the ones who can kind of drive and enact change. And Nick and I had a conversation offline where we were talking about, like, part of the reason why we're seeing so many of these things and, and like, with the pandemic and everyone being home and videos and seeing those things, like, we're being exposed to a lot of things that we probably would pass by uh, in our normal circumstance. But because sports has halted and everything else has kind of hit the pause button, we're being exposed to more of these things. I think the good thing out of all of it, uh, we're seeing that the huddle responds in kind. We're seeing players of all races and ethnicities come out and talk about those things. And so even though something negative has happened, I believe something positive a greater good is going to happen out of all of it. And I think sports is going to be the driving force of that change. You know, and, and I know that, and Bucky, it's the first time that you, you join our show, but if you know Dave Hellman at all, you know he's a huge LSU, huge LSU uh, fan and a huge fan of Joe Burrow. Uh, I think Joe Burrow got a lot more people that aren't just Bengals or LSU fans uh, over the last few days because it is going to be people uh, like him. To, to speak up like he did um, just just the other day. And so, you know, I was proud of him for doing that. You know, he could say, I'm just a rookie trying to figure myself out. This isn't about that. This is about, you know, uh, this is a, about humanity. And, and he, you know, I, I applaud him for that. I'm a fan of his even more now um, just just for, for, for doing that and taking that platform that he has. And, and to those listening right now, I just encourage everyone to just educate yourself, listen, put yourself in other people's shoes, and, and just just be patient, patient and willing to have these kind of tough conversations. And while I know this is a lot bigger than football, I also know that a lot of people are very stressed. There is a lot of bad things happening right now, and you guys do want to take a little break from that and just kind of vent and get away from from all this craziness so we are going to talk about the cowboys and football right now one of the recent news that came out this week was that the nfl is having teams hold their training camps at home so the cowboys most likely i don't know how official this has been but these these are the reports the cowboys most likely will not be able to go to Oxnard, california i know there have been there have been changes at the facility, you know, there is a field that was taken away with some constructions in Frisco. I just wanted to talk with you guys and just kind of get your thoughts on how this whole thing might affect how the Cowboys have been doing their training camp for the past few years. Well, I mean, for starters, uh, you know, 
they they like to be outdoors. They they like to, to you know get some get some work done out there. And so you can't really do that in Texas in in late July and August. I mean, you can. Uh, you know, they did that in Wichita Falls. That's why I have a job is because they decided to do that in Wichita Falls. But I don't think they'll do that uh, very often. Uh, you just want more space, more field. And so being out in Oxnard gives them the sunshine, gives them the great weather, but more importantly, it gives them two grass fields that they can practice on. And, and I think that's, that's one thing that they're certainly not going to have, um, you know, here is, is being able to, to be outdoors as much. Yes, you have an indoor facility, but it's one field. And it's it's harder to get um, a, a lot of work done. Um, yes, they do it during the season, but they don't have 90 players during the season. Yeah, I think most football coaches and, and I mean, Bucky, you played football at a high level. You can speak to this. I would imagine you don't want to practice on an artificial field for a month. Uh, I don't. I, I it doesn't. You know, people talk about it being bad for your legs. I'm not. I'm not convinced they would want to do that, but it, it does propose a challenge of if you're going to practice outdoors on natural grass, they're going to have to do it early in the morning or in the evening because I don't see that happening in the middle of the day, that's for sure. It's, it's, it's going to be a different uh, challenge for sure, and I do wonder how they'll work through it. Um, I was in Kansas City when Mike McCarthy was the quarterback coach there. Uh, he's taken on uh, some of the things that Marty Schottenheimer's done in terms of, like, physicality, toughness being a big part of the program. However, uh, with the limited space and some of the issues that you're fighting against, like your guys not being in an off-season program, your guys haven't been around, so you really don't know what level of shape and conditioning they're going to report in, I think it will be different. Um, I think what you will see is a mix of uh, OTAs and some of those off-season workout practices and normal training camp practices. Uh, It also came down that teams won't be able to have joint practices. So I think the teams that work smarter, not necessarily harder, will be the teams that benefit from this. Mike McCarthy has already said that he has uh, he had contingency plans. If they didn't go to Oxnard, they had a, a schedule. And so I think that will work out. One thing that, Dave, you alluded to was they may need to go early. I would expect that if they're going outside, you may see different practice. You may see them go out at 6 a.m. so they can get the work in early before the heat of the day, and then come back and follow that up with meetings and the like. They have to get outside. They have to get acclimated to the conditions. They want to utilize the field space, but they're going to have to do it in a different way. Let be open to the media, 6 a.m. And if so, Dave, you're That's my that. first thought. I'm like, that, that better not be happening. That better not happen. You know, I mean, I don't, you know, we don't have to talk about the logistics of doing our jobs here. I'm sure people don't want to hear that, but I mean – if if the Cowboys want to help me get a hotel room at the hotel at the Star, I'll I'll cover a six a.m. practice. I don't really want to I don't want to commute all the way across town, but you know maybe <laughs> if I can if I can set if I can set up shop upstairs from the field, that would be great. You know you know one thing to consider we we look at the situation like we've like you know from from our own we we know where they practice and but not every. I wouldn't say not every team. I don't think any other team has a high school stadium actually as their indoor facility with that many fans. So what basically by telling all the teams that you're going to be practicing or having training camp at home without saying it, you're saying that there will absolutely be no fans or it, at least for those teams that can't do it. I mean, I, I think that that was probably already in, in place, but I think just by that statement alone means 
there's no way that they're they're going to allow that to happen because most teams don't have the, the ability there. That'd be interesting. Every time we do that last part of training camp back in Frisco, I always think, I'm like, how is this possible when we're back in Oxnard, two fields, and, and they're all spread? I mean, there are so many guys. It just takes over the whole place. So it's going to be interesting for sure to see how McCarthy handles everything, maybe split the team, you know, have the defense be outside for a while, offense inside. I don't know. We'll see how they work that out. Were you going to say something, Nick? Well, oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say I, I can tell you one one person or a group of people that, that you know, this is going to really uh, benefit in a negative way is, is the rehab guys. The guys that that'll be out there, you know, they they always take go on a side field and working on you know knees and 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 ankles rehabs. Uh, Britt Brown and, and and that team, and you know by, by in this case they're going to be outside. They're going to be doing that probably on the grass in 100 degree weather or whatever. So you know unless they are at 6 a.m. or whatever, but you know it's just it's just a space issue. We saw it. When we were in San Antonio over the you know for the years, and, and you couldn't go outside out there, and they really didn't have fields to do that. And you know they made it work, but you know it's 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 difficult for sure. The space the space issue will be something that you have to consider. Also, like what's different than I guess when they were in San Antonio, like now they have really tight time restraints. Like I think you have maybe four four and a half hours from the time that you step onto the field for that initial walkthrough. Um, that's all the time that you have. And so I just wonder how creative they can get with their practices, particularly with all the young guys who haven't been exposed to the system. Will we see separate walkthroughs for the rookies and the fringe players where you have the walkthrough with the regular guys, maybe a practice with the team, and then after all that's done, almost like a small section practice for the young guys to get them up to speed because the young guys haven't had the benefit of rookie minicamp, OTAs, and the like. And so you have to find a way to kind of rush those reps so you can count on some of those young guys. Uh, Diggs and Robinson and those guys are being counted on the play. And so some way, shape, or form, you have to get them ready. They're going to have to figure out a way to get it done. That's a really interesting point. I mean, you know, it kind of gets lost in the shuffle, but you know, even during OTAs and, and during this time of year when you're doing teaching sessions, like, the rookies typically stay later than everybody. Like they go through afternoon walkthroughs. They have extra meetings, obviously, because the vets don't need it as much. It, it seems likely that the rookies aren't going to have a chance to do any of that until training camp starts, whenever that is. So, yeah, that's that's going to be a lot of getting up to speed that they have to help those guys with. I, I've had, go ahead, Nick. I just said we, we had some mailbag questions about veterans versus rookies and who's going to have an advantage, you know, to making rosters. And it just doesn't seem like, like, you know, it's even close right now. I mean, I see, you know, there will be veterans that, that have that upper hand because they understand terminology. They understand schemes and, and concepts uh, way more than, than rookies. I mean, uh, if you're a high draft pick, obviously you're going to make the team, but you know, I think it is going to be a challenge for an undrafted rookie to really make a splash because, they, they're going to have to do all of their work at training camp, and they haven't had this off season to really start turning heads. I mean, I think of Luke Gifford. Luke Gifford, by the time we got to training camp, he was a guy we already kind of liked and seen what he's done. At this point, these undrafted rookies haven't really done anything. Yeah, it'd be interesting, Nick. You bring up 
rookies and guys trying to get contributions. I think this year, more than any other year, you have to pay close attention to the practice squad. The practice squad has to be a true developmental squad and a vehicle that teams use to get better during the season. So the practice squad guys may not be impactful the first half of the year, but I think what you may see, guys stashed on the practice squad that are getting extra reps during the regular season on the side after practices are done, week eight, week nine, week 10, you will then begin to see those guys kind of sprinkled into the lineup because now they're ready to understand the offense and defensive scheme and they're ready to make contributions. I wanted to ask you, since you guys have been talking about these rookies and younger guys, Bucky, you've been doing scouting reports on a lot of these guys. And I just wanted to ask you, after watching so much film of each one of guys, who would be a guy? Do you, do you have somebody that's a, what do you guys call it? A pet cat, a cat pet? A, what's the name? A cat pet. Yeah. <laughs> pet cat. So like, who would be who would be a guy for you that has stood out for you know while you've been watching all this uh, film? Bradley and I is the guy. Bradley and I is the guy that people need to pay attention to. Bradley and I, uh, for whatever reason, um, fell down the charts, but like he's a fifth round pick who has big time talent. And Dallas has traditionally hit on guys like in those stages. Uh, the thing about Bradley and I that makes him a guy that could pop. He plays with a tremendous motor. Uh, he has natural rush skills. He has a violent temperament on the field, and that kind of plays really well. Also, with Mike Nolan coming over and the hybrid scheme that they're going to use, he is a perfect fit to kind of fill one of those voids as a stand-up player that plays off the edge. And if you know anything, and I don't know how many Utah players have been on Cowboys rosters in the past, but typically when you get a Utah player, you're getting someone that's physical, someone that's tough, and kind of gets it because they, they practice and play in a manner that's pro-like. I think he's going to be a guy that from day one, he's going to flash right away. Is Utah anything close to Boise State's program? I know it's close in, in, in geography. Because if so, we, we do have a good idea about Boise State players. Like 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 those, those schools, Boise State, uh, Utah, Fresno State, for the longest time, like they just had guys that just kind of made it. When you step as a scout on the practice field and watch them go, like it was all business. Um, at Fresno State in particular, they used to talk about anytime, anywhere. They did not care. Like, if you want to strap it on, they're ready to go. Utah operates in a similar manner. You've seen a bunch of Utah guys have success in the pros. Bradley and I, like guess and when we watched him at the Senior Bowl, he was unblockable coming off the edge against high-level players. Um, I think in this scheme, in this system, I think he's going to be a guy that is really, really, really good play. Now I'm racking my brain. I don't. I don't think the Cowboys have had a Utah guy, at least not a you know a notable name in the time that I've covered the team. But, I mean, you talk, yeah, going all the way through the draft process back to last summer, that Utah defense was so impressive. Uh, they had, you know, five or six guys off that unit got drafted. They're so physical, nasty, fun to watch. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about, about Bradley and I. Going in here, some physical toughness. Especially after last draft. What we saw last draft, you, we need some guys that can come in here with physical you hate, toughness. You hate this defense so much. Like, it's, it's just no. boiling over. Yeah, no, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. I don't hate it. Like, it's oh, just, all these guys. Gotta be tougher. Gotta be, gotta <laughs> tackle. Gotta hit it. Hit it. You know, and, and, and like I said, especially after what we saw from last draft, I think that a lot of 
people might probably agree with me. You need guys that are able to come in and, and actually be bringing something to the table and not some people that you completely forget about. Last year, the only person I kept reminding myself that I could remember the name was Tony Pollard. Other than that, I would have to be like, who did we draft again? So... <laughs> Don't mistake me. Everybody agrees with you. Like, after every show, everybody's in my mentions talking about how you speak for the fans. So, you're at, like, you're 100% right. Gosh, I started sweating. I already started sweating. I get so emotional. Well, I know. We're, we're, here's the thing that is different. Um, and, like, Mike McCarthy talked about it in the opening press and when he talked about players over system. Um, when you let the system lead, sometimes what you do is you bypass good players to get guys to kind of fit the system. And it can work, but you really got to hit on those things. When you go with players and then you tailor the system around what the players do, you have a better chance of getting it to work. Also, the way they're changing defense from being kind of like what I call a, a, a simple system where we're single high safety, they lined up, hey, we're going to do what we do. It doesn't matter what you do. We're just going to be better than you. Like, that's great when you have superior talent. And for whatever reason, it didn't work last year for the Cowboys. This year, Mike Nolan has talked about being multiple, being complex, giving the quarterback different looks. And when you look at the acquisitions, the guys that they've acquired, not only in the draft, but in free agency, you have more guys that can do multiple things and play multiple roles. The challenge will be, can Mike Nolan make it simple enough that guys can grasp it quickly so they can put it into play on the field? That would be the only thing that I'd be worried about and I'd be paying attention to looking at training camp. Well, let's let's go to a quick break right now. When we come back, we'll dig a little deeper into that because I know a lot of people are still asking about the 4-3-3-4, which one is it? So I wanted to get y'all input in that once again. And then we have a lot of questions from the fans to answer on here when we come back. Your new apartment's big. Such a great deal. Uh, it's okay. Just okay? What's not too Right above the subway. Well, I bet you don't even notice it after the... That's my neighbor, Angus. A deal that's just okay is not okay. Get a great deal with America's best network. Come into an AT&T store to find out how to get one of our popular smartphones for $0 down. Based on GWS1 score September 2019. You want the most interesting, up-to-the-minute Dallas Cowboys news straight from the star in Frisco? How about exclusive and on command? That's right, news and nuggets you can't find anywhere else. With our exclusive Cowboys content on Alexa, you can have all the answers, secrets, stories, and more. What's Stephen Jones thinking during a game? What's Joe Looney's favorite pregame meal? We take your questions to Cowboys players and coaches, and you can hear the answers directly back to you. Just say Alexa, open Dallas Cowboys. Whether you're into being a part of this or more into something like this, SeatGeek has the tickets to the events you love. It's the easiest way to find, buy, and sell tickets. Plus, with their deal score technology, they'll recommend the best seats in the house at the best value. So the next time you're craving this, download the SeatGeek app and let's go. 
SeatGeek. Ladies and gentlemen, it's that time again for tailgating with the OtterBox boys. OtterBox, the company that builds wildly overproductive phone cases? The one and only. But cases are just the start. OtterBox is the official outfitter of tailgating. If they can keep my phone safe, what can they do for my parking lot party? How about protecting your beverages from suboptimal drinking temperatures with their elevation tumblers? And OtterBox elevation tumblers come in three sizes. A 10-ouncer, a 20-ouncer, and even a 64-ounce growler. Check out all the colors and sizes of their elevation tumblers at otterbox.com back to the break welcome back guys we have bucky bruce joining us in today's show hopefully he can answer this big question that a lot of fans want to know what is this defense going to be a three four four three which one is it? I don't know why people care so much, honestly, but <laughs> just go ahead. I, 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 I'm going to let you go ahead and speak about it to hopefully bring some reason into this whole mess. Uh, Mike Nolan said it's going to be a hybrid, but given Mike Nolan's history, he skews heavily towards a 3-4 defense. And the only change, really, um, they need a big. They needed more size up front to be able to do a three-four. Because ideally, what you want in a three-four, your best players are your linebackers. So whoever they designate as the linebacker. So if they dub Demarcus Lawrence as an edge player and a linebacker, Alden Smith, Randy Gregory, whoever plays on the other side, they'll be a linebacker. The two inside linebackers, Jalen Smith and El- Leighton Vander Esch, those guys. The reason you need bigger guys inside, Jerome McCoy and Paul. Because you want them to clog up blockers so they can run and chase. You want to free LVE and Jalen Smith to be able to just run and chase and go really see ball, get ball. On the edges, what you're trying to do, and the reason it's beneficial to be in a 3-4, you're trying to get your best pass rusher on a running back or a tight end. And the thing about the 3-4 is you can move and stunt and create some five-man fronts where the offense has to leave one of those guys on one of your better rushers. Uh, Mike Nolan has played this defense in the past with Terrell Suggs in Baltimore and created opportunities for him to get a gang of sacks. Demarcus Lawrence will get a number of one-on-one opportunities, not only against tackles, but they can configure the defense to give him a chance to get one-on-ones with running backs. If a pass rusher is one-on-one with a back, it equals a sack. And so I think what you'll see is more blitzing, more chaos, more disruption up front. That should lead to more turnovers. I I, I agree with that, and and I and I really think that, you know, we, we've said this, Bucky, before. Um, the Jalen Smith figuring out how to use Jalen Smith in the right way is, is is a very high priority, or should be a high priority for, um, you know, Mike Nolan and, and this defense. And and I think a three four scheme putting him and Layton kind of right in the middle. There's not a lot of coverage. Uh, to be asked for those guys, you know, I, I think that's exactly where Jalen needs to be. Yeah, with Jalen, like if you go all the way back to when he was playing at Notre Dame, he was so much more than just a sideline to sideline lineup. They would blitz him. They would incorporate him as part of the pass rush. Well, in a 3-4 defense, one of the benefits of being in a 3-4, you have three down linemen, but you have four stand-up players. And any of those stand-up players can go on a given down to create either a four-man pressure, which is called a simulated pressure, or you bring two, you now have a blitz. So in theory, you could bring Demarcus Lawrence and Jalen Smith from the same side. You can bring Alden Smith from one side, Jalen from the other side. It just gives you a lot of flexibility. And even when they go into their nickel package, which may have a four-man front, 
There's just so many creative things that you can do when you add in the blitz pressures. But a lot of that will be dependent upon how well can they cover in the back end. Because if you can cover well in the back end, then you can do more stuff, more aggressive stuff in the front end. That's that's what I that's where I keep landing, which is why like I agree with Amber. It's it's funny to me that people are clamoring for clarity so much because that's exactly what everybody was so sick of under the last coaching staff. Like Rod Marinelli is gonna play a four three front, they're gonna do this, the pass rushers are gonna get up field. It's the same thing all the time, and people were sick of it. I love the fact that we don't a hundred percent know what this is gonna look like. Like I hope Alden Smith and Demarcus Lawrence do stand up from time to time. I hope they put their hands down in a 4-3 front. I hope Jalen Smith rushes off the edge in addition to playing linebacker. Like, I hope all that stuff is true. Uh, that's what, like, hybrid, the word hybrid really excites me. I hope that that they're as versatile as I think they can be because they have so many crazy athletes. I mean, you're, both of your defensive tackles can play in both types of fronts. Leighton Vander Esch and Jalen Smith are two of the most athletic linebackers in the entire league. They can do a number of different things. We obviously have very versatile pass rushers. We've talked about how, you know, Tyrone Crawford can do everything from 4-3 end to 4-3 tackle to 3-4 end. There's so much versatility. Like, if you're not doing a little bit of everything, then I'm not sure you're capitalizing on your talent. So I'm really excited that we don't know for sure what it's going to look like because it could look like a lot of stuff be a bunch of stuff up front like um the versatility that they have because in studying the roster and studying the lineup you're right tyron crawford is the wild card because tyron crawford started at end but he can kick down inside and be a three four five technique meaning he plays over the shoulder of the tackle um you have uh poe and mccoy that can be the zero and the three technique the nose tackle and the jump tackle and then you got the stand-up players but where it really can become funky for teams facing them the creativity that they now have with the safeties. Ha ha Clinton Dix, Xavier was being able to play what we call split safety coverage. Uh, if you go back in the classic yesteryear when everybody loved the Cowboys in the mid 90s, they played a lot of quarters, meaning that if you basically just divvied up the field in quarters, the corners had the outside quarters of the field, the safety plays the inside quarters. Well, now, with Ha-Ha Clinton Dix and was being able to kind of rock and roll and play some man coverage and do some of those things, you now can have the nine-man fronts against the run, but you can play quarters coverage in the back end. And the other part of that, you can play quarter, quarter, half, which means that when they're facing the teams in the NFC East, and if there's a stud-wide receiver, they can now roll up and basically double-team that side, and the other corner can play man-to-man. It is almost the old Deion Sanders defense. If they have a corner that stands out, you leave him locked up on the on the outside by himself. You roll the other way, and you dare the quarterback to find a third option. If the Cowboys can evolve to that kind of defense while bringing pressure, now you're able to suffocate opponents uh, with the different schemes that Mike Nolan wants to bring. I know that smirk. Okay, so I can just say exactly <laughs> what you're saying. First. No, you laugh first. first. <laughs> and let's just say it at the same time because we're both we're both asking the question. Which quarterback do you trust to lock Deion down Sanders. his side of the field? Yeah. <laughs> Who's Deion Sanders in this equation? That, that sounds great. It's like I, I, I keep hearing a lot of people say about the last dance, you know, who's who's the Scottie Pippen of the Cowboys? I'm like, who's the Michael Jordan? Like, who's the Phil Jackson? Like, you know, who's the Deion Sanders of this? Okay, so think of it this way. 
Because a lot of times when we think about the Deion Sanders theory, we think about Deion taking on the number one receiver. Well, flip your mind. Put the corner on the number two guy, double team number one, and force them to throw to number three. So whoever emerges as your top corner, don't put them on the other team's best guy. Put them on the worst guy, double team the best guy, and dare the third guy on offense to be the guy that has to beat you. That's how you play the defense. 1994 NFC Championship game. That's exactly <laughs> what the 49ers did. That's what they did. They they double teamed Michael. Michael had a huge get day, and and Dion just shut down Harper. And then they Kevin Williams had to try to to be the other guy, and and it didn't work. That's exactly the the theory there. So, um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see. You know, but but it's it's kind of funny how it's all connected. How how the tackles need to help the linebackers, and how the safeties can play this, and the corners. It's it, it takes everyone. You know, they say it all the time. It takes all 11, and it really does in that defense. To go back to the point about versatility, and I'm not trying to convince anybody that they're the Legion of Boom. We have no idea how good or bad this secondary could be, but I am really intrigued by how versatile it is, just in terms of the skill sets. I mean, we know Anthony Brown and Jordan Lewis can both play inside and outside. Uh, you know, we're, we speculated plenty about, you know, they might want to move Cheeto to safety or – Reggie Robinson has some safety flex. People forget Xavier Woods played slot corner as a rookie. Uh, and right. and ha Clinton Dix has also played a number of different spots. You know, I don't believe he's played a ton of corner, but he's handled multiple responsibilities as a safety. So, yeah, a lot of guys that can do a lot of stuff. Oh, and Worley as well, yeah. Worley's played yeah. safety and corner as well, for sure. Yeah, so now the, the beauty of that, the coverage and what we're talking about, so whether it's quarter, quarter, half, or whether it's just true quarters, so the thing that you saw in the offseason, the guys that they brought over, Diggs and Robinson's long, versatile in terms of being able to play press, bail, and off. They get their hands on the ball. Uh, then in Worley, the same thing. So in theory, uh, Mike Nolan has talked about, look, we want to put the guys in a situation where they do what they do really well. But the thing about quarters, you can play quarters press like they used to way back when Jim Bates was the D coordinator and Jimmy Johnson and all those guys there they locked up and they did things but you also can walk those guys out and let them make vision on the quarterback and if the pass rush is really good they get their interceptions off tips and overthrows so depending on how much pressure they can create at the line of scrimmage that can dictate the number of interceptions to get more interceptions you have to play more zone because your cornerbacks have to have their vision on the quarterback to see the ball come out when you play man-to-man like Byron Jones did, the reason why he didn't get a lot of interceptions, his back is always to the quarterback. Those guys get breakups, not interceptions. Mike Nolan has talked about we need interceptions. We need picks. We got to have turnovers. We have to have those things. He is going to play so they can see the ball come out, a little more zone, a little more stuff that gives his guys an opportunity to get those takeaways. startling how – rarely Cowboys defensive backs played the ball, uh, you know, in the last couple years of, of Rod Marinelli's tenure. I think it's, it's probably one of the like top five complaints from fans and media about the way the Cowboys have played over the last few years. So uh, yeah, I mean, it's exciting to think that uh, they might unleash these guys a little bit. Well, and another thing is I remember last year when we were about to face the Patriots and I remember asking you guys, I'm like, okay, what makes the Patriots so good? And one of the things that you guys talked about was the fact that 
they change things up every week based on their opponent. So to me, when you talk about, okay, what are you? What kind of defense are you? Why do you need to be defined by something? Why can't you just change it? I mean, as a football, I've never played yes. football, but how hard is it to change it every week depending who your opponent is? And I, hopefully you can comment on that as a former player because I haven't been on the field playing, but really, how hard is it to switch it up? Hey, so I, I, I tell you, I'm sorry, I, I don't want to no, cut ahead. you off, Bucky, because you're going to have a better answer than me. But I'll say this, that Bill Belichick didn't just do this overnight. When he is looking at players, he's not just looking at 40 times and all that. He's looking at guys that are smart, that can understand concepts, understand. A lot of teams just say, give me, oh, he ran a 4-2-8? I got him. Where this guy ran a 4-4, but he, he's a very intelligent player. He's very versatile. He understands schemes, and so he can – he can make a change on a Tuesday and Wednesday in the middle of the week. As a, we've had players on this team, I don't want to name names, we had players on this team for eight or nine years that could never never really play a different position. And so it, that stuff matters, and, and you have to have the players that can adapt. That's, that's a great point, Nick. Um, uh, with the Patriots, they always, if you looked at them, they always skew towards veteran players. Why? Because veteran players are experienced. They played in adult it, systems. It's easier for them to get adjustments on the fly because they've been exposed to a lot. When you have young players, sometimes it's hard to overload them with a bunch of different changes and adjustments because as they're thinking, they can't really play. Um, with the Cowboys, and Mike Nolan said this, he's like, if you want to create takeaways, you have to get guys that have a history of taking the ball away. So you got to look in their background as college players. Did they get their hands on the ball on the ball and, as, and, and, as collegians? Brian Jones didn't get his hands on the ball a lot when he played at UConn. So to expect him to be a high Turnover guy, that's an unreasonable expectation because he's not going to play like that. When you look at Reggie Robinson, he has seven picks. You saw Diggs, he has seven or eight picks in his career. You've seen those guys come down with interception. So you understand, oh, these guys can catch the ball. Maybe they play wide receiver. They understand it. The thing that is the challenge in trying to do a lot of different stuff, what can your players handle? And so Mike Nolan, without the benefit of an offseason, he's going to have to experiment the first quarter of the season may look ugly on defense while he's trying to figure out what guys can handle and process and do. And then as he narrows their focus and says, okay, we can play this handful of coverages and stuff, we're just going to major in that. That is the trick. Marinelli and Chris Richard, they tried to say, hey, we're only going to do this, so you're going to do it over and over and get good at it. It can work. It didn't work last year, but – for Nolan to be able to pull this off, he's going to have to have a clear understanding of what his guys can handle from a mental standpoint. All right. So what I got from that is just get smarter and more experienced <laughs> players. That was what I got from that whole thing. But, you, but, but, but you've seen that, though. You, you saw them. They got a whirly. They got hot. No, it makes sense. It makes sense. They, they brought Kennedy over. Um, Trayvon Diggs played in a system that was multiple at Alabama. Uh, you can say the same for what Robinson played in Tulsa. They're used to playing in systems that require them to do a lot of thinking, a lot of changing and adjusting. Now, we are about to go to break here in a couple of minutes. But real quick, before we go to break, I did want to ask you about the free agent guys. We t you talked about the rookies and the guys that you've done all these scouting reports on. But what would be a free agent veteran guy that has caught your eye? Most important free agent that they sign may be Cameron Irving. And the reason why is he's a jack of all trades. He can play 
all five positions along the offensive line. In the case of an injury, he could be the swing player that has to go up and play. And because he can play anywhere from left tackle, guard, center, guard, outside, he is a very valuable player. And it's one of those signings that everyone would kind of shrug their shoulders in the offseason. But when you get to the mix down the stretch, week 10, 11, when you have injuries, having a player that can do a bunch of different things could be a huge asset. He is a very, very valuable piece that they brought on. That's not the guy I was expecting you to say. And so uh, that's interesting. They, they, and, and you're right, though. Joe Looney was that guy. He was that backup to two or three spots. And if he has to start now, Cameron Irving is the guy. You, you want your backup lineman, even though they've changed the rules that you have to have eight guys active, you still would like to have a guy that can do multiple things like that. I, I think that's that's a great point. I was expect, I was trying to figure out which defensive guy you were going to throw out. <laughs> I, I, thought, I thought you might say Kennedy. Honestly, I, I think he's an un, unforgotten player because he he is going to be a, a key core member to the special teams. Maurice Kennedy. He absolutely he has to be. They have to be better in special teams. And here's the thing: without OTAs and all this thing, you cannot put young guys on special teams because early in the year you'll see a block punt, you'll see a punt return, you'll see a kickoff return, something that ultimately decides the game. You need to have veteran players that really want to be special teamers on your special teams. He is a core player. I think he should ultimately emerge as a special teams captain. His ability to make plays in the kicking game could decide a game or two. And so keep your eye on him and figure out which other guys that are backup players can emerge and really make solid contributions to the kicking game. Which, you know, that's, it's ironic. Like I'll eat some pro as a, as a, as a writer, like you go back a few years we used to kind of dog the Cowboys uh, when when Rich Bisaccia was the special teams coordinator. Like he had like seven guys who, you know, the core special teamers like didn't do anything else. And you're like, you know, whether it was uh, Kyle Wilbur, James Hanna, Jeff Heath before he got the nod uh, uh, to be a starter. We we're like, how many? Sorry. With uh, Andrew Gashkar is another one. Andrew Absolutely. Gashkar. Like, yeah. How, how many of these guys that don't play offense or defense do you need? Well. They all left and joined Rich in Oakland, and the Cowboys special teams got really bad. So maybe the answer is you do need a handful of those guys. And I'll say, say this about, about last year's staff, and our last year's special teams, yeah, they were not good. We, we know that's been documented. But one of the problems they had was they had a little bit of an issue at the coaching staff of coaches that wanted their players to be focused on a position and not special teams. It wasn't an all-in, buy-in situation. There was a, too many players that were not starting that were like, I don't want to play special teams. That's a problem. Uh, Darren Woodson played special teams for about 10 years, and he was a starter for every one of his seasons except for the first one. So um, it's a mindset that's got to be, you know, it's got to be changed here. And that starts at the top. That starts at the top. You talk about Darren Woodson and all those guys. with well, Jimmy Johnson, uh, they put their starters. Every starter has to play on at least one special team as a starter. So your defensive starters typically played on punt team because they got to go down and cover and tackle, and it's very important not to flip the field. Uh, you have defensive starters on kick, kickoff and, and return. Like, it has to be a very important part. And to make the roster, it has to be one of those things that early in training camp, your head coach has to stand up there and say, like, look, we may have 22 starters, but the rest of you guys, for you to make it, you have to be able to make special teams contributions and eventually work your way as a backup. Special teams buys you time to earn the right 
to be a rotational player as an offensive or defensive player, but special teams has to matter. And because you have arguably the best special teams coach in football coming over, you can best believe that the Cowboys special teams are going to be good with Bones Fossil taking over. Thank you so much, Bucky. I know you, you got to get moving and go do some other things, and we do need to take a break. So thank you so much for, for joining us today and bringing in some of your wisdom because Derek doesn't bring <laughs> wisdom so, all of the time. So thank you. Wow. <laughs> all right, hey, guys, let's you. take a break, and then we'll keep, <laughs> we keep going with the shows. We do have some questions that you guys have been sending in, and we'll get to them right after the break. Want to use what the pros use? How about the official men's skincare brand of the Dallas Cowboys, Jack Black? Right now, you can get the Jack Black Starter, a curated collection of Cowboys locker room favorites for just ten bucks with free shipping. The starter includes four Jack Black skincare favorites plus a full-sized intense therapy lip balm. Go to getjackblack.com/cowboys and use the code word TEAMJB. That's getjackblack.com/cowboys. The Jack Black Starter, ten bucks. Free shipping! Whether you're into being a part of this or more into something like this, SeatGeek has the tickets to the events you love. It's the easiest way to find, buy, and sell tickets. Plus, with their deal score technology, they'll recommend the best seats in the house at the best value. So the next time you're craving this, the SeatGeek app and let's go. SeatGeek. I'm Jay Novacek, former tight end for the Dallas Cowboys. Back in the day, I was the guy who always got the tough yards, and that's why I run with John Deere today. In fact, I have a John Deere 3025E tractor that can handle any yard work I need to do, even the tough yards way out back. So if you have one acre or a thousand, John Deere has the equipment that's just right for you. Visit a John Deere dealer today and run with us. We are the official tractor provider of your Dallas Cowboys. Your new apartment's big. Such a great deal. Uh, it's okay. Just okay? What's not too far? Right above the subway! Well, I bet you don't even notice it after the... That's my neighbor, Angus! A deal that's just okay is not okay. Get a great deal with America's best network. Come into an AT&T store to find out how to get one of our popular smartphones for $0 down. Based on GWS1 score September 2019. Back to the break. Welcome back to the break. Now it's time to answer some Twitter questions that you guys have been sending. This first question is kind of long, so just bear with me. With the possibility of an even higher octane offense this next season, how do you see the boys using Tony Pollard? Will McCarthy using in more creative packages? Is he a bigger receiving threat out of the backfield than Zeke? Uh, to answer that last part, yes, I think so. I mean, I think he's he's more dynamic with in space and with the ball in his hands. Um, I think he's got better home run speed. Um, so yeah, absolutely. And it kind of goes back to the whole question about, you know, the defense is like, I mean, I haven't seen anything. I don't know, but I really hope so. Uh, and I trust Mike McCarthy's track record because what they did with Tony last year just wasn't good enough, uh, for a guy that's that talented. And, and I mean, look, I know Zeke's going to be the lead dog and he should be, he's great, but 
uh, you got to find a way to get a guy like Tony Pollard at least half a dozen touches a game. Um, whether you know he can he can move out into the slot, he can catch out of the backfield. He's very he's a damn good traditional running back, kick returner. I keep saying I think it it doesn't seem like it should be that hard to teach the guy how to return punts. I don't think he ever did it in college, but it does. I mean, I feel like you could learn if you spent some time with a jugs machine and a special teams coach. Um, so factor. I would have. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I'm rambling. I just said I, I would agree with you on the on the punt return if they didn't draft CD Lamb. I think CD is a perfect guy that could fit in there. But but you're right. I mean, he can he can jump in there. My my thing about Tony Pollard is it's just like you said he's a better receiver, and yeah, he is a better receiver. But he won't get as many catches as Zeke because Zeke will be on the field more, and it'll create those mismatches. I think the better that Pollard is as a traditional runner. The stronger he gets, better vision. He's a guy they can put in to run the ball. Then he can open up and do so many other things. If he's just a gadget player, you kind of know what to expect. But Kamara was so good because Kamara could run the ball right between the tackles. Um, it wasn't just Ingram and then Kamara did other things. If Pollard can do other, I mean, can do everything, then I think he can do a, a bunch of other things as well. They, they can create on that, and that's where McCarthy steps in because, I mean, we saw what Kellen Moore did last year, so you still have Kellen Moore in charge there of the offense. So hopefully watching film from last year and having McCarthy's voice, it brings up new creative plays for them to use with Pollard. Now, I do have this other question. What is a new wrinkle that you would like to see the offense do that they can look at this, this. Sorry, this question was kind of worded differently. But basically, what is something that you see from other teams' offense that the Cowboys could maybe bring on their own offense and do themselves? Uh, I, I think um, you've got. Well, one thing that you can do is you can put a big defensive tackle uh, on there, and he can catch the ball in, in a um, wildcat formation formation and throw it. I mean, we've seen Dontari Poe do that. Uh, you know, we've seen Blake Bell do that at, at college. I, I don't think, you know, I think it's too early to talk about wrinkles and all that stuff, but I would say that your tight end can be, can do more things because you get, you've got better athletes at the tight end position uh, than you did in the past. So I could see uh, different things down the field using 11 personnel uh, at times, but also, um, I don't know if you go 13, but I do think that you'll see multiple tight ends out there and going down the field more than they have. I got, all right, this isn't even, this isn't even innovative. It's, it's like pretty basic, but I would love to see the Cowboys do it because they refuse to under Jason Garrett. Uh, I'm stealing this from my buddy, Mike White on, on Twitter. Um, they ran upward of 60% on first down in the vast majority of their games last year it was even as much as 80 percent in a few of their games if you remember they just refused to do anything but charge zeke elliott into the line on first and 10 against minnesota all night long it was the only thing they did um if they could just bring that percentage down throw on first down play action on first down uh i think that would help dak prescott tremendously i think it would make the offense more dynamic not to say zeke won't be a part of it but just be a little less predictable, and I think it would go a long way. 
William just texted me. William Boykins is part of our staff. He's listening to the show. And he's like, here's one thing. Run the quarterback. Run Dak Prescott. Hell yeah. Well, that too. Um, and I know you, you make him susceptible to injury if you do it too much, but he has game-changing ability as a runner. The dude's got 21 rushing touchdowns. How much easier does that make, especially in the red zone? You know, where, you know, three yards is the difference between kicking a field goal or scoring a touchdown. Uh, it's just way too valuable to ignore that. It seem, I, to me, I've seen him plenty of times be a little more successful when making those passes on the move. I mean, he can throw while on the move. What I were you going to say? Well, I was going to say, if I know William at all, he's probably trying to get the WebEx link to, to join us and, and replace Bucky. But, um, um, <laughs> no. I think Dak's best throw ever, and I, I, Dave, I think will agree, was the one that he threw to the uh, to Cole Beasley in the at the end of the Giants game and, and at the end of uh, 2018. Rolling left, throwing to his right, 35 yards down the field uh, to win the game or to save the game, and then win it with a two point conversion. You're right; he's strong enough where he his body doesn't always have to be set perfectly to make that that good throw people are still wondering about what the Cowboys are going to keep doing in free agency. We know that free agency technically isn't over. You know, there's player acquisition all throughout the year, as we hear from Stephen Jones all the time. So are you guys hearing anything or do you expect any of uh, the Cowboys to bring in another player during free agency that could come in and help at a certain position? Let me guess. Let me get one guess of who they want because he's still out there. Go ahead, Dave. I mean, you're you're thinking Clowney, but don't forget about Everett and Griffin either. They're both still out there. Yeah. Uh, I, I know, mean, I, what, what's Clowney asking for? I mean, forty million a year. Like, what's he asking for that nobody's putting him on a team? I think. I think he's probably made peace with the fact that he's not going to get what he wanted when this all started. And at this point, I don't know exactly what he's waiting for, but I assume he's got a handful of offers. And I mean, you know, it's not like he's really missing anything by not signing. yet. Um, I, like I said, I couldn't tell you what he's waiting for, but I'm sure he's got a few choices to, to pick from. I don't think it's going to be the Cowboys. That's, you know, people, people have been asking since March, you know, well, oh, well, like, I mean, if we cut Tyrone Crawford, can we go after Clowney? I'm like, you, they could go after Clowney right now if they wanted to. They could do it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I our mean, producer, our, our producer, Chris Bean, pointed out, too, that uh, Everson Griffin played for uh, George Edwards uh, with the Vikings. I know, honestly, I, I thought it made a lot of sense because of George Edwards. Um, you know, he's he's a veteran player. His price probably isn't going to be as crazy as, as some, you know, as some guys could be when they hit the open market. Uh, I, I would be in support of it for whatever it's worth. And the longer this goes, maybe it would be a discounted enough price that it's possible, but I think it's highly, highly unlikely. And, and I don't think that, you know, thinking about what Zimmer used to play, I don't think it would be the, the same type of scheme. Now, again, like you said all along, just get the guy in here and let's see what he can do. You know, I mean, I, I don't know exactly what Everson Griffin body type is, but, I'm sure they can find a place for a good football player. Whether between money, uh, I mean, mainly, honestly, mainly money, because like Jadavion Clowney can do whatever he want. I mean, he can play. He's he's a scheme-proof player, I think. But I, agree. Uh, I just, it, you know, 
I don't see it happening mainly because of the amount of money that you'd have to commit. When, I mean, we're still having the DAC contract just hanging over our heads and just kind of waiting what happens there. With that on a waiting status, does that kind of stop you from trying to sign anybody else through free agency at the moment? While you wait to see how how much money goes in there? I don't really, like I said, I mean, they could, they could sign those guys right now if they wanted to. Like, you can always find a way to finagle the cap in your favor if you really want to do it. Dak's negotiation isn't stopping them. They just feel fine with what they have. Like, clear, I mean, they think the world of Alden Smith, they're very excited about that potential, and he is costing like a fraction of a fraction of what they would have to pay Jadavion Clowney. Um, I, I, I don't think it has anything to do with Dak. I think they just feel fine with what they have and what they're paying for. And we have time I, I don't... for... Sorry, Nick. No, go ahead. I was going to change the subject, so if you want to... Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. All right, so the last question, since that's the time we have left. Other than the obvious, who are the starting secondary? If you had to choose to... If you're playing tomorrow night, you're playing tomorrow night, uh, you in, in your starting terrible. secondary? Where's the game? Is there fans? No, <laughs> This is like when uh, we, we had to rank the cornerbacks for one of our uh, slideshows that we did like a week or two ago, and it was the worst. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I mean, okay, if they're playing tomorrow, if they are playing tomorrow, which is obviously absurd, but if that's the rule, then I'm going to say uh, Cheeto and AB on the outside with Jordan in the slot and then haha and Xavier Woods at safety probably. I mean, how can I how could I lean on a rookie in Trayvon Diggs who's never even practiced in the NFL to play a game? I agree with you there. I think that's the easiest way for us to do this, but I have been told that Daryl Worley is graded out uh better than than a lot of the cornerbacks on the team. So, uh, you know, new coaches, new new scheme, maybe Worley comes in and you know, they're not really playing favorites. Maybe he comes in and has a chance to, to you know, play over maybe a Cheeto or or uh, Anthony Brown. But but you're right. I think it's it's that combination there, and, and we'll see what Dick does and how uh, quickly that that he he jumps into the situation. But safety wise, I don't I don't really see anybody else moving in there. I mean, um, Darian Thompson maybe. Darian, I always but, forget Darian Thompson, and I like him. I think he's a good player, but I always forget about him. I mean, the group, who would you out of the group? Who would you say has the better hands? Just based on what you've seen in the NFL that we've seen from previous veterans, and based on these guys that have played in college, just kind of laying all those out. Who would you see? Ha, who would you say has better hands to kind of get the ball and create some turnovers? Right, right now, Jordan Lewis. I, I, yeah, Jordan. Jordan's got great hands. I know he doesn't have a lot of picks. He also hasn't played a lot of snaps. The interception he had against the turf, I mean, against the Bears last year, I mean, that looked like a wide receiver. I mean, he, yeah. he's, got his, some, he's got good hands. Uh, maybe his, Worley. Worley might have a few. I, I mean, you know, I was – okay. I I didn't – I mean, I didn't realize this, honestly. Uh, Ha-Ha Clinton Dix has had – Three different seasons where he had three or more picks. Uh, he, he had three in 2018, he had three in 2017, and he had five when he was a pro bowler for Green Bay in 2016. Uh, so that's really encouraging um, because 
last year. Uh, last year he had uh, last year he had two. He had two last year. It's fine. Not amazing, two. but it's fine. It's two more two. than most. I mean, somewhat better than the Cowboys. Two more than a lot of people that have played for the Cowboys. That's for sure. There's been years where two has has led the team or at least tied. So I'm I'm looking at at uh, Worley. Worley has never had more than two. Actually, he's only got five career interceptions. So not as good as I thought. Last question. Time is ending, but and this one is just for the fun of it, I guess, because there's no really telling. But with the new coaching staff, will they finally select or choose to defer every single time when they win the coin flip? You know what's <laughs> no, you know what's you know what's funny is uh, in 2016 they took the ball a lot. And they scored an opening touchdown a lot, and it really worked in their favor. Like, you know, the team was so controlled by the offensive line and Zeke, you get an early lead and you get to dictate the game. And that, I mean, they won a lot of games comfortably by having a, you know, two possession, three possession lead at halftime, and they just grind people down. So it's not always a terrible idea, but it's usually a terrible idea. So, like, you know, Glad Derek's you, not in here. If Derek you will fight you all day on this one. I'm not, I mean, you should defer 99.9% of the time. But if you believe in your offense and you want to set the tone for a game, sometimes I can see the logic behind it. You remember when McCarthy was hired like nine years ago uh, over here? Uh, whenever It feels like so long ago. But the, the big term was analytics. Uh, Cowboys are going to do analytics, you know. And so yeah. that's that's my answer is what does the analytics say? You know, they're gonna they're gonna crush the numbers and moneyball this thing and whatever comes out, that's that's what they'll probably do. I agree. I, I like kicking off and setting the tone on on defense, you know, but you know, especially at home because that's when the crowd's in their seats and ready to go. But then again, this year, who knows what the situation will be. So a lot of I, think I think the analytics probably say you should always defer if I had to guess. Analytics also say you should you should go for it on fourth down all the time. But I tend I tend to agree. Coaches, if you wanna if you wanna hop into that conversation, like I basically think you should go for it anytime you're if you're at midfield or closer, you should go for it. That's just my opinion. Unless I know unless it's like I'm, I'm unless it's like eight yards or further. Like if it's fourth and thirteen, you should probably punt. But eight yards and in, you should probably go for it. Just my opinion. Anyway, sorry. Sorry. You should get on the headsets on game days. I've been trying. Tell, I keep, they don't, <laughs> tell these guys how to do it. They don't ask for my opinion, but that maybe they should. I don't know. <laughs> okay, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Um, I know times are tough right now, but hopefully we were able to bring you some little space away from everything that that's has, has been happening currently. So thank you so much for tuning in with us. Thank you, Dave. Nick. Chris Beam for helping us and Bucky Brooks for joining in today's show. This has been Cowboys Break on DallasCowboys.com radio. This has been a production of DallasCowboys.com and the Dallas Cowboys Football Club. How about this, Cowboys? Yeah!